0: Welcome listeners, episode 19 of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin.
1: Greetings, Internet. I'm Jake
0: Goldberg. Next week, just a tease, we have a special guest, I won't tell you who, on a subject that has generated a lot of interest lately, so be prepared for that. Uh, Lots of, I think, will go very well. It'll be our first guest, which will be fun, and uh, I I actually think it'll go really well. Um, So we are excited about that. So today, there's an interesting topic that's been circling around lately, and, you know, to be honest, everyone, I thought kind of the points that we are going to go down today was a already assumed consensus viewpoint, but apparently it's not, and that viewpoint is that there will be continued offloading of cloud AI to on-device processing, Um, you know, when this first started six, seven months ago, it was all cloud. Most people are doing today, I would say 99% is still all cloud. And that's the most rich capabilities that exist, right? GPT, BARD, um, you know, any service you've tried today. But it's interesting because there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of good reasons that things might move on device, but it's not something that has really happened much today. And there's a lot of questions for that. So the... I know you 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 have 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 been in some of these conversations, as much as me. And so, how how do you how do you think the the narrative evolves, and or just and then just overall viewpoint, right? That sure, it's not all going to be in the cloud, but a lot of it will be. But how does that narrative evolve? That yeah, on device will bring some advantage to these generative AI capabilities.
1: So, I, I think we're it's you know everything's moving fast, and we're in early days. People looking at ChatGPT and they see it's very exciting, uh, and they're you know everybody's dreaming big about it. M- most people approach it through Dolly or ChatGPT, some through Stable Diffusion, but mostly they're interfacing with the cloud, and, and that's the assumption. There's all this talk about you know shortage of GPUs. We don't have enough H100s mm-hmm. from Nvidia. It's all talking about cloud data center based AI. But separate from that, what we're seeing in the actual community, the practitioners, the people who are building this, is there is a, a growing awareness of a desire to put this on devices, onto smartphones, onto PCs, onto smaller devices. Right? There was that leaked, leaked Google memo a few weeks ago, which laid out the case really clearly. And and it, the the point of that piece was that the open source community is outpacing both Google and and OpenAI in advancing AI capabilities. But if you actually dig into that a step further, what he's mostly talking about is on-device edge AI, mm-hmm. shrinking down these massive models to the point where they can fit inside the compute footprint of a, of, a, of a laptop or, you know, people have ported it now to a Raspberry Pi. So I think a lot of the industry is still looking at, at this from the cloud point of view, but the people who are really doing it day-to-day are... Or have have woken up very quickly to this reality. And we'll, we'll see how quickly the community gets there. I, you know, I know just yesterday, with today's May 19th, just yesterday, uh, OpenAI released an iOS app for ChatGPT. Now, that's still sending everything back to the cloud. Mm-hmm. I, I downloaded it, though, and I couldn't use it for 20 minutes because their servers were all full. Uh, right? And so, you know, nobody really knows what Ape, OpenAI... Uh, OpenAI's business model is they don't seem to know, Uh, but I'm sure like at some point when they start becoming, if they start becoming more serious about a business model, they're going to look at like, Hey, we're getting all this usage on, on devices. Is there a way we can make this simpler, right? Can we, can we offload some of this calculation to the device and save, you know, you do that for 20% of your workloads and you save a few billion dollars in CapEx is, uh, those are, those are big numbers pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: And I, th- I think that the two factors of this that come into play from conversations I've had is one, it's just really expensive to keep doing all of this in the cloud. but But the contrast to that was one of the things I thought was most interesting about this AI shift is a point that we've talked about, but that it's it's instantly available to any comp- any device with you know a smartphone or a PC if it's running in the cloud, right? So we don't have to wait for new hardware. Like we did with smartphones, or like we did with PCs, or like we would with this conceptual AR VR thing. Like nobody, developers can't make money until that those categories took off at any scale. However, today, if you run this in the cloud, anybody with a computer can access it. It's just really expensive to do so. So there's this paradox of massive TAM, massive development opportunity, but but really really expensive. Versus if we were to say tell the people well. Look, you need to wait until you have a device that's got 30, you know, 30 tops, trillions of operations per second across a number of cores. Well, not there's a very small number of devices in the world that have that, right? So it's this striking balance that I think is super interesting, again, acknowledging the economics of pure cloud, not sustainable. But also, you kind of want to take advantage of cloud because it's got you the biggest TAM versus wait two or three years before we have X number of hundred millions of units with enough compute to do this more on device.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the, the the there are a few issues out there. There is a, a, a pretty serious technical limitation that is going to be a you know a barrier for moving to, to the edge. And then there's a whole bunch of economic reasons, right? And the technical reasons are, I mean, these models are big and they're growing. And so there's, there's a sort of impetus. You get there's the a perception you get better accuracy the bigger your model is. That's going to get tested, um, but already we're bumping up the, uh, against the limits of compute that you can do on a device, or even in some cases in the cloud. Like we're starting to get bump up against some pretty serious mm-hmm. m- memory limits, right? Dylan mm-hmm. Patel had a very good article sort of walking through all of this, uh, and then you try try to build bring some of these models to edge devices. Like even the smaller models that are sort of built for running on edge on the edge, like Stable Diffusion. There's not a lot of, there's not enough silicon compute power in in the average laptop, in the average iPhone, or even an advanced iPhone. So there are some real technical limitations. Yep. I think, you know, obviously those will improve a little bit as we get Moore's Law and the next generation of devices come out. But I also think there's going to be some, we've already seen a lot of changes to the models themselves. Things like Llama, which are shrinking down models to much more manageable sizes we yeah we're still not all the way there to get it really running well but right on a device but i I'm, I'm pretty confident we'll get that part of it yeah right but Agreed. then separate from that there, there are economic issues why you want to put everything on on the on the device right mm-hmm. because um you know if, if you're like if there's a, a lot of interest in putting ai in video cameras for you know surveillance or unfortunately uh right but uh you know, those cameras cost $50. You can't put $200 of silicon in a $50 camera. So we have to sort of shrink that. Um, and then you start talking about things like autonomy or even assisted driving, where you, you have to have chips in the car making decisions. You you don't have time. Even with the wonders of 5G and low latency, you, you need to make some pretty critical decisions in the car. You can't wait for to go back and forth to the cloud. Yep. Yeah. So th- there's still some things in the way, but e- economically yeah. is a very strong argument for pushing more and more to the cloud. I mean, right. more and more to the, to the edge. And, and I
0: think you have a number of players, very, very powerful in semiconductors, who are advocates of this and want to see it happen. Qualcomm, one of them. There's been a number of articles that that Qualcomm have come up, not just from um, their their CEO, Cristiano Amon, but also uh, a white paper uh, at Apple seems to probably also be in this camp that they'll say, "Hey, look, we want to push on device," and we'll talk about some of those use cases in a little bit. Intel, AMD, I mean anybody, right? At the edge, it, it benefits them to make this happen. But the, the the question that I still struggle with, and this this is the hardest part I think that in my opinion, this transition will will bring is, you c- you could take a you know a a, t- a ten billion parameter model, or let's just even say something to fifteen the The largest I have found is something like a seventeen billion parameter model running on, uh, Apple Silicon. But Qualcomm's processors have done seven, eight billion parameter models. Um, I've seen thing on X eighty six around ten billion parameter models. Stable Diffusion, for an example, is around a billion eight, You know, uh, eight hundred million to a billion parameter model. My my challenge is you try some of these things that happen. Let's just say purely on device. And they are not as good as the things that you do in cloud. And so I always have this view of well, what do consumers expect? What is the expectation with the Surface? And anybody that's coming off of using GPT or BARD or or any of these things has pretty high expectations because you've tried it and you're like, man, this is really cool and it's pretty robust. And then you try something that's more localized and you see its limitations. It, it doesn't compare. And so that's that's sort of my initial concern is, let's say we run a, a, you know, X number parameter model, and it can respond to emails for you, or it can do uh, very light, quick text message responses. And some of that might be okay. And I think some of those will be fully, but it's not going to write you, you know, an analysis or help with the market report or help with a 2000 word article, like most people are trying to do today. Those are just such large models. So it's the expectations gap is my point that I'm a little bit worried about in this 12, 18-month shift between cloud to some on-device?
1: I I think we have time because I I still stick stick by something I said a few episodes ago where we don't really know what AI is going to be used for, right? There was a lot of excitement at first, oh, it's going to be used for search. Now people are starting to rethink that. Um, Mm. It's done really well in things like coding and providing suggestions for coding. But you know most of the most of the, the d- developers I talk to say it's it still needs a lot of human intervention like you can you can it can spit out a lot of code right but you still need someone who knows kind of who knows how to read code to debug it and make sure it does what it's supposed to because it still hallucinates and has errors I know that with writing like I would I, I've tried to have it write blog posts for me and I end up spending more time editing it. Than it would take me to just write it myself and edit it myself. Right. right, right. It's just, it's not, there's still a lot of, right? We still don't know what what, right. what it's going to be, what it's all going to be used for. So uh, I think AI itself is way out of bounds in terms of the hype cycle. Like there are all these articles, I don't know if you've seen these, all these articles in the mainstream press about uh, AI is going to solve all these major societal problems. Right. It's going to fix <laughs> income inequality, it's going to fix the middle class. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. no, what? <laughs> How? Yep. It's, so right. we're we're kind of already we're 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 headed towards disappointment no matter what. Mm. Um, but that's fine. We'll we'll go through the curve and we'll we'll hit the what is it the valley of despair and then we'll come out of it with a lot of interesting useful things, <laughs> which also gives us time to have the silicon catch up.
0: Yeah. No. No. Agree. And 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 there are two parts to the on-device thing that I do think is interesting. Um, one that, that that the Qualcomm, that both Cristiano and others have, have talked about that I think speaks to is is accuracy, right? So that it has less less chance to hallucinate, much more accurate in basically what you're asking it from a prompt standpoint. And again, I'm not saying this is searching the web, but accuracy does matter, I think, in some of the things. And the other is privacy. And I really think that's a good point because you're seeing the news, right? Samsung used GPT and put their stuff up and then it learned from it. Apple just had an announcement today that they're limiting use because they don't want that same thing to happen. They don't want people, Apple IP or knowledge going to the cloud and, and, and sitting there for, to be trained on. So there's the, there's always already a privacy angle that I think is important, but I'll just give this use case as an example because I think this is interesting, right? And and this fits part of my overall thesis that wherever we're marching to, because you're right, we don't know what, the goal is that it helps us be more efficient or get things done more quickly that's a part of our everyday workflows. And so so my wife's a teacher, and as a part of their students' assessments, they have to do these things called progress on goals, which means that the teacher has to write a super long email to the parent giving them progress on goals. One of the teachers in her category has a 13-year-old son who helped her write her progress on goals using ChatGPT by just giving it a prompt and saying, here's the bullet points, here was the progress that was made, and it wrote this very nice elaborate, colorfully worded email that actually came off like really good and ended up saving this teacher a lot of time. And as you know, teachers don't have a ton of time. So even things like that, right, I think is super interesting because it gets to a root and and, and also say that's good on, on device that can happen. And that should be private. There should be an element of privacy that is maintained on that. And I thought that was just a great use case for this point of like on device using Gen I AI to help you write some emails um as a primary use case that kind of fits these points we're saying which is what can you do on device versus what you can you do on cloud.
1: So I've had similar experiences with Chat GPT. The things I've I've found it useful for are similar types of uh writing. I don't wanna I don't want to get myself in trouble and talk about school applications, but um th- th- <laughs> part of the problem is a lot of the things that we're using it for like that are things that aren't necessarily going to be read that closely anyway right right? um certainly certainly like the the people I hear who are most excited about ChatGPT for authoring written work are the the you know people who send out lots of marketing emails right spam right um Right, so we're gonna have we're we're gonna meet a world really soon where we're gonna have ChatGPT writing things to be read by ChatGPT.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Well, and that's so, already like a case. But, I mean but, one one of my biggest use cases is just summarizing an article I think is too long because I want to skim it anyway. Just give me the point. Give me the insight. <laughs> but that poor person has spent a lot of time writing a thousand words. I just want the the
1: paraphrased version. <laughs> right, so exactly. They're gonna they're gonna you, all they have to do is add brief to their <laughs> keep it brief to their chat yeah. g p. t instructions for whatever they're writing next time
0: yeah i had yeah. it i
1: had it summarize all of my all of my blog posts i had it read through all of my blog posts mm-hmm. back to ten fifteen years the longer long i i been doing it and um it it said you know jay Goldberg is a believer in technology being used as a a force for good mm-hmm. but recognizes that uh recognizes that you know finance finance and capital matter. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. It also gave me a very high readability score, which. Very good. I I can't quite tell if it's sort of, if it's kissing my ass. So I do the same thing though, to be honest.
0: I do the same thing to be honest though, just to see like, did it think I made the point I think I'm making? Like maybe I didn't do a good job. Like if it's, if it's walking away with the wrong conclusion, then I didn't do a really good job. So I've, I've used that as that part as well, which again, so maybe, maybe there's elements of even just that Jay that could be done on device, right? That doesn't need to be a gigantic thing. If it just takes your thousand words or whatever, 800 words, and then just says, Hey, you know, help you as an editor, right. Or help you rephrase things or give you those summaries like that. That probably can happen on device too.
1: Yeah, I, and I think that's that's the, that's the point, is our our threshold for accuracy is is not 100%, right? We don't right. need it to be. We don't want it to be, right? Uh, you know, if we're going to write code for running nuclear power plants, ChatGPT is not the, maybe is a starting point, but it's definitely not the end point. Um, but for lots of other things, you don't need that, you don't need perfect accuracy. You need something fluffy right. and good.
0: Right. And I, and I really think that the development part of this will be like super interesting, right? I, I use this app called Notion that is a kind of team uh, collaborative, task collaborative, project mm-hmm. management type of thing. But you can also write, you know, like articles in it. You can get into an article, use its little AI. And and, and I know they've been experimenting with some form of let's let put some of the, it's not all, it's not there yet today, but some form of let's put some of this into the local app so that you've got offline capabilities. You don't have to be connected to benefit from some of these things, very simplistic things, even if it's just help me define a project, help me create a scope of work, help me, um, you know, outline the project goals for this, et um, But But ultimately that becomes a hybrid world, right? There's some of it on device yeah. and then there's some of it that goes back to cloud. And I think that might be the most, economically favorable way, but but for the developer, that's gonna be a trade-off to them, right? How how much do they put on device, which will rely fully on its capabilities, hence the need for more compute at the edge, but they will balance those two things in terms of how much they leverage to the cloud versus that they're gonna pay, and then how much they put onto the device, because, you know, like, I think we've talked about this before, Jasper, which I have tried, and it's okay, but that's like an $80 a month service, all on the cloud, right? Notion is a $10 a month service. Yes, the cloud, but some, but I just don't think you can't charge people $80. And if the answer is I'm gonna run it in the cloud and you're gonna pay a hundred bucks a month, that's too much, right? So there needs to be a an economic model that works for consumers too, because these things will not be free.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think ultimately what it's gonna come down to is the economics of, of compute are going to encourage developers very strongly to move as much as possible to the, to, the, to the edge, right? And in a lot of cases that will be possible because we, because of what I was just saying before about accuracy. Like we don't need 100% accuracy for a lot of these things. And so yes, moving to the device from the cloud will, will lower your accuracy or lower however you want to measure that, but that's okay because the things we're using it for don't need 100% accuracy, mm-hmm. 80% mm-hmm. is fine. And so people will be willing to pay that, pay that that penalty. And I think, um, and yeah, and then and then you you factor in privacy on top of that. It it definitely does make me nervous that I can see all the things I've ever asked ChatGPT to do. Right. I mean, it's there's that whole list, and if I can see it, so can yeah, you know, yeah. everybody else. Right. Uh, and so I think that that's going to be important. And and I'll say like sort of just going back to Qualcomm. One of the things that was really interesting to me, they announced a whole bunch of AI stuff this week and, and we've talked to them about it. It really sort of shifted my focus because up until recently, I've really been thinking about semiconductors for AI as being a data center problem, which means you need to have silicon that's running hundred percent of the time and needs to be super, super optimized for, for raw output. And that's, that's a very clear, you know, data center challenge but when you're talking about getting a device to run on a uh, uh, getting an ai device to run on an edge on the edge that's not your you're not optimizing for 100% right. performance it's it's not going to be used you know 5% of the time is still a lot you're optimizing for power and speed yeah uh, and so that that opens up a whole that that trade-off opens up a lot of you're going to have to that opens up a lot of avenues of improvement yeah so i think that's that's a really important sort of shifting the focus and i think that was that was yes. a good point that i that came out of what they're they're working on.
0: Yes, and the the other thing I'm intrigued by is the is the nature that this kind of on-device demand, the the insatiable demand for compute that generative AI and and all its future evolutions will drive. How that will change the way that this that the SoC or CPU GPU architects think about their cores going forward. And a good example of this is, um, you know, when you look at sort of the two companies that have what we'll just call very capable, uh, AI units. So you could call this an NPU. Some people call it other things, but let's just say it's something that's doing that, that, that AI specific acceleration. So Qualcomm and Apple, um, both of those are kind of unique approaches and we list these things in terms of tops, but at the same time, I've, recently come to the conclusion that not all TOPS is created equal. So if somebody tells you that their CPU can do, I'm just making this up, but can do eight eight TOPS, right? So eight trillion operations per second. I don't think that's equal to an equivalent eight TOPS on an NPU, right? For example. And I recognize that workflow diversification across those cores is important, but TOPS per inference per watt, which is actually a super clever uh, uh, metric that Qualcomm is using. And I do think there's a lot of legs to that, is is a factor, like you just said, low power, um, but also speed. And so I say all that to say I'm intrigued the way that this demand for on-device AI actually now informs semiconductor designers going forward for their SOCs, realizing again that not all tops are created equal. How might they make those trade-offs right, in terms of their transistor budget and, and try to make this more efficient and more capable over the next few years in their designs.
1: Yeah, I, I 100%, 100% agree. Because, I, I mean, I've been in these conversations. No, nobody uses tops or flops as, as, a, as a useful metric, right? I've been in conversations where we're trying to, somebody's trying to sell a, a chip to a, you know, a hyperscaler, and, like, you, you, have, you have your tops numbers on the first page, and then you never talk about them again. You just sort of that's the qualifying like this is this is the realm in which we're in. Right. The the real the real work, the real purchase decision is based around I'm a customer, I'm going to run my workloads on the silicon. What is what is the actual output there? And what does that cost me in terms of power and number of chips yeah. I need to buy? Yeah. Right? Then and the tops does not really factor into that conversation.
0: Yeah i'm I'm wondering too, and I don't I don't think either of us have an answer. I'm just lobbing this out there in in the off chance that someone more more technical listens to our podcast and, and wants to chime in. I'm curious how how metrics change to uh, how do I say this to quantify performance games in generative AI on device, right? And so, the, the things you use today is, you know, you can use GPT or, or BARD, like you said, if you even get access to it, like the problem that you had. And you could see it go anywhere from 10 words a second to 30 words a second, right, depending on latency and or, you know, capabilities. Um, some of these things I tried on device that I think are interesting is you could get like 600 words instantly instantaneously when it's running on device. So speed is there. But point, point being, I wonder if there's... Over the next couple of years, I don't think this is a five-year thing, but over the next couple of years, like, are there ways that we can measure on-device generative AI capabilities are getting better, are getting faster, or are getting more power efficient, right? Something like that.
1: Yeah, it's it's tricky because, you know, raw speeds and feeds aren't going to do it. You can't just give them tops. And accuracy is very, very, very hard to right. define, let alone measure. Right, right. I I think I think a lot of those decisions are going to be made by people very very close to the metal, doing very detailed power performance models. Right. I mean, just I mean just this week, I, I how many metrics have we seen? Like I, like a dozen different metrics we've seen people use to demonstrate their performance. Mm-hmm. Inference mm-hmm. per watt. You know, in, in, queries per second per watt per dollar. Mm-hmm. right there's just you know there's lots of metrics that people are going to use and I, I don't know what's going to become the sort of leading flagship metric that people are going to use for the marketing um, but I think the real work will be done very very low level as people make these sort of very small calculations
0: right yeah because I you know I just don't think it's going to be as simple as we can run a 30 billion parameter model and it takes you know milliseconds or whatever I just don't that seems too simplistic I also feel like there will be a observable uh performance gains like you'll have tried it before and you'll see that it's faster and more capable like there's some experiential parts of that especially as the use cases grow right that it can do a whole lot more than than it will in the next 12 to 18 months um
1: yeah and i I, I say
0: and and i say all of that because from what i know is coming in the second half you will hear a lot of people start to demonstrate and show on-device generative AI things.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know in the literature, in the academic literature about this, there's, there's a, a, a growing number of questions about to how important is just the size of the model. Like mm-hmm. we've sort of in, in, in a you know new thing like this, it sort of seems the natural inclination is just make the model bigger and bigger and bigger. But I, I think there's an assumption that at some point we'll hit a point of declining returns. Right. So that's that's one factor that's out there. And then I think um you know, you start looking for perf- how do you measure performance? And I I think w- I had this conversation with somebody this week where it's like how do how do we think about it? And I think one of the w- the metric I've I've been using is to the degree of human intervention required. Like I mentioned that before when I was talking about mm-hmm. writing and coding, how mm-hmm. much human human intervention is going to be used. And I think autonomous vehicles are the are the perfect example of that because that's the that's the metric that seems to get right. most Scrutiny right now is uh, number you know human intervention per hundred thousand miles or whatever. Right? That's mm-hmm. that's a, a metric that people have, have used to talk about all these different autonomy systems, and I, I think that's I mean that's that because that's ultimately the question we're trying to solve. Like, how much of this can I really offload to my AI agent, and how much how much involved? Because it, it, that's the that's the real question, right? If if I still have to do as much work to write my blog post, why am I right. going to use AI?
0: Right. I like that. I like that, actually. Because you could actually then say, if if, if if my grand thesis is correct, right, that its ultimate goal is to help save us time, then maybe there's some element, like you said, that's, I would say, either observable, maybe not as easy to say, hey, I saved you 10 hours today of, of writing time or something, but measurable objective in, like, can you actually save me time? Although I, I'm interested. I'll just lob this out, see what you think. Like, it, Do you think this era and I think this is a data center point too right because you're you could argue that you need a quantiful quantifiable way to measure gains in these in these technologies like remember in in the 2000s it was always about megahertz than gigahertz like one it was every time you had a new it got faster and you knew it would open word faster or it would do that and I wonder if I hate to say something like that would come back but I'm curious if there's something that just says okay this one's coming and it's blah, 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 which means we can tell it's going to be faster at all these tasks you're used to today.
1: I, I know, uh, like, just last week, somebody pitched me on, a, you know, a coding support AI tool. And their, their tagline was, make every coder a 10x coder. Mm-hmm. Right, there's this myth in, in programming circles of the 10x coder, who's just naturally 10 times faster than, 10 times more productive than every other coder in the team. Right? And I think that's, that's sort of, I, I think that's how the some of the big companies, like Facebook is pretty good at tracking the productivity of their programmers. I, I'm willing to bet that they're already studying this in a, in a pretty fine-grained way, is coders who use this much AI support, Copilot, or what have you, to do their code, is it really making them faster? Is it making them better programmers? Because Facebook is large enough and good enough at this that they can measure this pretty well and they can quantify it. I I don't know what the rest of the world uses. I do think you're right. We're going to see, we're going to go back to people talking about clock cycles, but we'll replace the numbers with, with flops and tops. But
0: to your point, that's such an ambiguous number. I don't think that's helpful. And if all tops aren't equal,
1: so what, right? It's, I I mean, I I think there's a, there's this sort of broader question we've, we've had for years now is how much more productive does software in general, not just AI, Mm -hmm. but all software, does it make us more productive? And um, yes, it, it, it certainly you can write things faster. You can do lots of things. You can do spreadsheets faster. You can code faster. Um, but it also comes with cost. Like you got to spend more time installing software and getting it configured. And so, is the world better because of software? Is it more productive? At least, yeah, probably. But you know, not magical. Hundred yeah. times, thousand times. Software. Yeah, software. And I think the I same know this is true of AI.
0: And I know this. This is a just back to this tops point. Th- this was prior to this this generative AI moment. But you know, the last couple of years, Apple used to very specifically say the number of tops that they have on device. And as of last fall, that just became a number that got flashed on the overall summary chart. They didn't even say it anymore. They still say billions of transistors, so they still like that number. They probably won't forever, but tops is no longer talked about. Maybe they will again. But I just thought it was interesting that. It's not a number that they say verbally anymore. It just shows up as a as a point on the screen. So even to them, arguably not maybe not the best metric.
1: I mean, I mean that also goes to what are we going to do with AI? Because, you know, we've mostly been talking about helping humans do productivity tasks, but lots of people are going to use them for other things, right? And, and Apple's the the prime example of that. Apple has already a significant amount of AI silicon on their on their chips. Yeah. It's mostly doing image and video processing, mm-hmm. right? And how do you how do you measure that? I mean, remember a few years ago when there was this megapixel race to have the most megapixels yeah. in your camera. We you know we very quickly hit the limits of that, right? Because there are other things that matter for image quality beyond megapixels. Right. Uh, we're probably going to go some through something very similar with AI-assist camera yeah. stuff. Right. Um, yep. But how do you like how do you how do you think about it? how does Apple even think about that? Like, what's like how do you how do you define the problem, let alone measure it? And I think yeah, there's... And, and AI is going to be used for lots of different things, and so we're going to have to have lots of different ways to quantify that.
0: Sure. I, I think the most important takeaway for me from all of this and, and the discussions we've had is exactly that point you made about, you know, the, the, the megapixel race, which was also the megahertz to gigahertz race, which is also the, the bit rate, you know, KBB to gigabit. At some point in time, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, we're in it right now, we feel that pain we see oh it's slow or it's not good but 5 years from now it'll be an object like you won't even know right we'll be past that curve and just because something gives you 10,000 words faster like it's so fast already it's just it's just on a but but we're in that interesting cycle which is why i think it's fun to observe and talk about for the next few years because we are going to see you know distinct Issues or challenges on some of those on-device experiences, but everybody's racing to fix them. So, it's a it's a fun problem, but also, you're right one that we're only in for, I don't know, a few years, maybe a little bit longer. But it'll get it'll get solved.
1: Yeah, we're, that's right. We're we're gonna be hearing a lot about TOPS for the next few <laughs> years, let for better or for worse.
0: Yes. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. All right. So that's our preamble on on-device AI. Hopefully, everybody thought that was interesting. Chime in with thoughts if you have other comments or critiques on how we view it. I always like the responses we get on Twitter. Um, But until then, like I said, we got an exciting episode next week. Um, So look forward to that. But we will talk
1: to you all then. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. And please click like, subscribe, share with your friends, all the socials. Give
0: give us a review on iTunes. Give us a review on iTunes. There you go. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you.